Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, we are broadcasting from inside Renaissance Bank on Windward Parkway in beautiful Alpharetta. And folks, uh, this bank just happens to be the best bank in Georgia. That's not just my opinion. It's the opinion of Forbes magazine. They were voted best bank in Georgia, Renaissance was, by by, uh, Forbes magazine. And I think they were because they're big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them small enough to do it in a personal way. And I know that myself. Um, So if you're looking for that kind of combination of characteristics for your business, go to renaissancebank.com and learn more, find a local office and be in touch. And I think you'll be glad you did. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Sean Glaze. Sean is with his firm is Great Results Team Building, and he's also the author of a brand new book called Staying Coachable. Sean, welcome. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, John. Looking forward to sharing some useful information with your audience. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming in and and uh, making yourself available to do that. I know you're pretty busy, and thank you for doing that. Um, let's talk about, before we get to the book, let's talk a little bit about you and and your work and talk about your journey. How did you... How did you get to this point? Give us the backstory. I appreciate you teeing that up. For Mm -hmm. the last decade or so, I have been helping leaders improve organizational performance by building more positive and profitable team cultures. And that sounds really great. Mm -hmm. And it really means that you're going to help change the way that the people in your organization interact in order to ensure the strategy you want to accomplish becomes a whole lot more effective. Uh, And I learned that by failing at it miserably about 20 years ago as a high school basketball coach. Oh, wow. Well, tell more about that story. (laughs) Right. Well, I think every hero's got a backstory where they kind of end up uh, having a whole lot more difficulty than they'd like to admit. And that was really my experience. I'd had some success as a JV guys basketball coach, had some success uh, with a good bit of talent. When I took over my very first head coaching job, I was a whole lot more confident than I probably deserved to be. Mm. And I really believe you learn as you get a little bit older, you know, confidence is thinking you can help. Arrogance is thinking you don't need help. And in that very first job, I think I was probably more arrogant than I was confident because I went in with all this expectation and excitement and enthusiasm. And at the end of our very first year, we had won five games, which if we only played five, that's pretty good. Problem was we had played 26. And so, uh, I had focused completely, John, on the strategy and the skills and the individual improvement and the X's and O's that I had learned as a younger coach, Mm -hmm. completely to the neglect of the relationships and the connections and the camaraderie and the culture that would have allowed that strategy to succeed. And uh, that second season, after a a pretty significant experience in the locker room at our very last game where you kind of realize – as the kids are leaving one by one instead of having any type of real personal connection, you know, that it wasn't strategy that was going to make us better. It was really focusing upon the things that I'd completely neglected. I had my head in the sand there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I made 
a intentional decision in that off season. And this is back in the early nineties. There was no Google. So it was basically traveling around the Southeast, visiting college campuses and talking with leaders, not just of basketball programs, but of businesses. Mm -hmm. What do you do to build that culture, the camaraderie, that connection that's going to allow strategy to improve. And, And so uh, every good teacher and coach is a good thief first. So I stole as many great ideas as I could. We implemented some of that, uh, did some team building, not just recreational stuff, but really intentional stuff that wanted to have some impact. And the second season with the exact same top seven kids, we won 19 games, went to the state tournament and had a completely different experience, not because the kids were different, but because the team was different. Wow. What a story. So, Talk about how you – I'm curious about that particular change, and you're talking about the same individuals, and you were coming at them in an entirely different way. How did you build that trust, maybe is the word, with that, that team, those same individuals that saw you the previous year and you wanted to instill a different mindset, a different way of looking at, at the team? Well, I remember specifically, John, and I tell this, you know, when I, you know, in speaking to groups and conferences, uh, I had what I just called a mirror moment mm. where after having that end of the season conversation with the kids and tell them we're going to be a whole lot better next year and I'm proud of the effort we made and we're going to keep working, et cetera, et cetera. Even in the midst of giving that after the last game speech, you know, it fell kind of flat because I was frustrated too. Mm-hmm. And so you go over and I splash some water on my face and I look in the mirror and I realize in that moment, if our team's going to change, it's the person staring back at me that's responsible. Mm. So if they were going to be different and better, I needed to be different and better. And that's obviously what sparked me letting go of some of that ego and seeking out with humility some of the things that can make me better so our people could be better and our results could be better. And I think that's one of the things that when we did have that turnaround and I believe that that was the reason for how much different we were as a team uh, and as a culture. Uh, I began to share some of that with other athletic groups. Mm. And then you have the light bulb go off a few years later with the same stuff that's made us successful as a basketball program in two different positions at that point might be able to help some other people. And I think that our job as leaders as we age, and this is certainly far more true now, you know, 15 years later, is – how can I be of assistance to somebody who is now in the same spot I was get, I was in when I was younger? How can we actually be the person that we needed previously? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so sharing some of those takeaways for leaders to help them to be more effective and to hopefully navigate around some of the potholes I stepped in has been my purpose for a number of years now. Yeah, wow, that's that's terrific. Now now Sean, you talk about why you made that jump. I guess to to author, speaker, um, why, why did you leave coaching to make that jump? Well, early on, I actually maintained my position as a teacher and a coach. Okay. And I began speaking and doing team-building events, half and full-day events around the country uh, because I had a wonderful principal at the high schools that I worked at that were understanding and encouraging for me to go and do that and bring that back to our classrooms and locker rooms. Uh, And what ultimately changed was when my son graduated and I hung up my whistle and I went full time, uh, it was something that uh, I had established enough of a backlog of referrals and past clients that I was getting some of that business and people come in and ask me, hey, can you work with our group? 
And regardless of industry, one of the things I've found is that the same things that affected us as a basketball team over two decades ago mm-hmm. are the things that affect teams across industry lines because ultimately people are people. And the same issues that we had with trust or accountability or accepting feedback or building those connections or committing to a compelling common goal or setting team standards and establishing values and what those behaviors look like, those are all things that leaders in every industry sometimes know are important but always take the time to implement. Folks, we're chatting with Sean Glaze, and Sean is the author of a new book called Staying Coachable. Uh, his fourth book now, I want to get to staying coachable, but let's, but, uh, cause that's why you're here, but let's give everybody a quick rundown. Cause you and I were talking before about there's kind of a logical progression to your, to your books and how you've released them. Talk about the other three titles briefly, and let's, let's get that out there for folks that might be interested. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my focus has always been on helping leaders build a more effective, high-performing team culture. And so that very first book, I was intentional. How can you actually take a story, which each of my books are parables with some Mm -hmm. hopefully valuable content takeaways. Uh, How can you tell a story that allows people to be able to pick up those five parts of a really important step-by-step sequence for turning individuals into a far more committed, all-in type of team. And I use the acronym GREAT in the book Rapid Teamwork for establishing those five things that every leader needs to focus on in order to transform that group into a team. And that's first establishing goals and then building relationships and setting expectations, building accountability, and then thanking people and providing toast for all the efforts they've made to that point. And so with that kind of cheesy, great acronym, you've got kind of the recipe for great teamwork. Yep. And then I realized with rapid teamwork, that was not just a book, but a message in conferences for managers and leaders of teams. But I didn't really have anything that would be applicable to those frontline employees, the people that were really in the middle of the everyday interactions, not just with clients, but with coworkers. And how do you actually change culture on the front end, not just from leadership, because obviously leaders are going to affect culture, but ultimately it's up to their people to make those changes in everyday interactions. And I began to think about not just players I had had, but people that I had spoken with leaders about in our coaching conversations. And uh, ultimately it, it became pretty clear that there are similar traits that winning teammates have whether it's basketball or business, there's 10 things that you kind of can put into 10 different categories of things that, that people who others want to work with are always doing these things. They're taking personal responsibility for team results. They're sharing appreciation and thanks with others. They're respecting the clock and the calendar. And of course they're staying coachable. And here we are staying, (laughs) (laughs) staying coachable, which is, uh, Sean's, uh, new book, which folks, um, I was, fortunate enough for Sean to send me an advanced copy. And thank you for that. Uh, it's a terrific book, um, that I would, um, encourage folks to dip into and it's not that long folks. So you, <laughs> it, it, but there's a only, lot of, a lot of wisdom in there. Only 1800 pages. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, it's, it's a terrific book and, and there's a story involved and maybe you can just give the highlights of that story. 
at, at a high level. To, and, and obviously joking, it's about 160 pages. That's it's right. an easy airport read. Uh, it's available audiobook as well. And uh, it's something I'm really pleased with because coming out of that 10 commandments of winning teammates, mm-hmm. when people would ask me, what's the most important of these 10? I used to actually say taking personal responsibility for team results. Because if you're an owner as a coworker, you're going to do all the other things. And then I realized the more I'd have that same conversation that maybe I was mistaken because if you're not coachable and things change, then ultimately you get left behind. And I think that's an issue you've seen maybe in the last 18 months, you've noticed there's been some change in the world. Oh, come on. (laughs) What are you talking about? And Um, so that idea of how do we as leaders deal with that one consistent thing that will always be around the corner, which is there's going to be some type of change. And maybe it's the platform that we're using, or maybe it's, you know, something with the economy, or maybe it's something with the environment, whatever that might be, you and your team are always going to have to navigate change. So how do you get your people to change? And I thought back, John, as a young coach to a really ineffective conversation that I had with the player, Mm. very talented athlete who had a broken shot and you want him on the court to play defense and to rebound. And he loved to shoot, but he had a really ugly shot. So as a coach, you're wanting to help him to adjust that and to change the technical stuff Mm -hmm. and build his shot back. Mm. And I remember as that command and control young coach, which I was, unfortunately, I remember him being not just annoyed by me wanting to change his shot, but very much pushing back. And that idea of resistance is something that I realized in talking with you know, team leaders uh, that they're experiencing when they're implementing something new, when they force their people, hey, we're going to be doing this now, or I need you to do this now, or we're going to deal with this now, whatever that might be, you get the same type of pushback, that same type of kind of annoyed resistance mm. that I got when I was a coach. Right. And you identify that as somebody who's not coachable. Well, here's the issue. And your leaders who are readers, if they do pick up, they'll obviously get some of that, you know, this, the four-step process and the four questions you need to ask yeah. your team. But I need to ask myself those questions because for me to be a better coach, for my players to be better, I needed to change. And again, a lot of that was letting go of ego. And you're so much more effective as a leader when you let go of that command and control and you begin to get far more focused on connections and curiosity because it's the curiosity of quality questions that really allows people to move and to be coachable. And what you said something important there right at the right at the top, which is um if you encounter change, it's important to be coachable. Well, we know change is all I mean, we're not just talking about a pandemic, we're talking about anything because the world exactly. the world is gonna change, the cheese is going to move, to use an old metaphor. Right. Um uh so you better f- get some help on being coachable, uh, which is what you're trying to provide. And here's the thing, if you're if if you're to ask any audience that I've been in front of, any leader that I've spoken to, are you coachable? Everybody instinctively is going to say yes. Sure. And I would define that and say, well, wait a second. Let me define. Here's what coachable means. Yeah. I think it's a very simple definition, just like I could share a definition of culture, kind of nebulous terms that I think are a whole lot simpler to define than people sometimes make them. Being coachable is really about two things. Do you want to be better? And are you willing to change? 
Now, when you're in an audience situation and you say, hey, raise your hand if you want to be better. Every hand goes up. Right. Yeah, we're coachable. We want to be better. And then you ask them that second question. Raise your hand if you're really excited about change. Mm, I bet you it's not as enthusiastic then. There's fewer hands. (laughs) And I think that's the case when we're dealing with people, whether it's in our mirror or on our teams. It's that idea of change that we deal with because we want to be better, but oftentimes you want to be better on our terms and our way. And the reason you've reached the position you're in right now is because you were coachable to a point. Right. But you reached a plateau and you became comfortable. And at some point you became a camper instead of a climber. And so what can you do? to help yourself first and help those on your team through those quality questions to really begin to identify the gap between where they're at and where they want to be and to establish some of the humility that allows them to be less of a full cup and be somebody that others can pour into. Wow. Let me hold on to that one for a second. That was a, I love that. Um, But one of the things I wanted to make sure we, bring out bring out here is that being coachable has nothing to do with your title where you are in the organization right i mean that it or whether you're in a quote-unquote leadership position because your position is you're you're a leader wherever you are absolutely and i think that uh you know the old john maxwell leadership is influence and impact you know you're leading from where you are regardless of title or position Uh, those who are in positions of authority and impact that may have a little bit more sway over individuals, I think are that much more important to look in the mirror and to be self-aware about how coachable they are because the organization will never outgrow the leader. And if you want to have a better team culture, that absolutely begins with leadership and those behaviors that others are going to emulate. So talk a little bit about Questions as catalyst. Well, that is something that literally has changed me and uh, hopefully is something that as a simple tool has been something that uh, that leaders across the country have seen their team performances improve because they made that shift mm-hmm. from command and control to connect and stay curious with questions. And in one-on-one conversations, you're going to build a great culture. You need to connect with your people. You need to have those one-on-one conversations. You know, that uh, annual review is a ridiculous and I I think a a cruel joke in organizations because you can't have a really accurate annual review unless you've been having those touch points along the way where you have come to appreciate somebody through asking questions and understanding not just their background and circumstances and challenges – but to be that servant leader who is there to support as they're doing those things that obviously have been delegated to. Uh, But specifically, I think that the idea of um, culture and of leadership comes down to the questions that you ask. And it's the quality of the questions you ask that determined the impact of the leadership that you have, whether it's yourself or obviously those around you. And so the book staying coachable focuses not on, telling not on that commanding because ultimately that's where the the two main characters end up in a bad place and they're frustrated and they're annoyed and they're unhappy because they're in a spot where they've been told something needs to happen Mm -hmm. instead of being led through questions to their own awareness of the gap that needs to actually be closed. And how do you ask questions that are catalytic that do 
that do provide change as opposed to questions that are either confrontational or really don't do anything? Uh, I think a whole lot of that has to do with the curiosity. Mm. And if I'm sincerely curious and I'm, you know, I think that as a leader, there's three really important traits you need to have. You need to be self-aware. You need to be aware of your circumstances, your people, Mm -hmm. your challenges, your resources, but you need to also be optimistic and empathic. And I think that empathy is going to be the key to any accountability conversation that you have, but it's also the key to asking better questions because it's through that empathy that you begin to identify with and understand and appreciate that other perspective or point of view or circumstance. And if you can truly ask out of curiosity, and this is not just with coworkers, but with clients as well, we've all sat across the table from somebody looking to sell us something and they're asking questions because they're going down a checklist Mm. instead of asking questions out of sincere curiosity. And that always staying sincerely curious is something that I'll share with every audience that I work with because it is absolutely vital as part of that quality culture. And I think it leads to some of those questions, but ultimately it's, you know, and even staying coachable, there are four unbelievably powerful questions that the guide that these two main characters encounter mm-hmm. that she ultimately shares that help to lead them through their own development. Um, and it starts with hunger. You know, and what is it that you want? Because until I identify why I'm there, I'm not going to do as much while I'm there. Mm-hmm. And that's the first of the four questions. And that is the first of the four questions that they're introduced to about midway through the story. Got it. So how about we go to those next three? Can we do that? Absolutely. Okay. And, uh, you know, in the midst of the story, this is, uh, again, a parable. And the story involves a father and a son, both dealing with their own circumstances and and kind of annoyed frustrations with change, Mm -hmm. uh, whether personally or athletically. Uh, and when they encounter this older woman, uh, they're on a hiking trip. And so I use that uh, kind of imagery of, of, of hiking in part of the parable because we're all looking to climb a mountain. We're all looking to actually ascend and reach some type of summit, whatever that might be. Again, leads to what do you want? What's that next mountain you want to climb? Yeah. And uh, in the midst of letters back and forth, the first obviously is that list of, of questions that goes with hunger. What is it that you want? And if you ever sit down to eat, uh, and whether it's a Chinese restaurant or anywhere else, you're going to see all kinds of things that are on the menu that are available. There are all kinds of things that for you and your team that are available. Mm -hmm. What is that one thing that you want to accomplish? What is that thing that you're going to prioritize and establish a sincere and focused hunger for? And so what do you want and who are you trying to impress? And, you know, what does success look like for you? Those are all part of that first lesson because without identifying that, the other stuff doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So identifying that hunger, I think, is the first step, whether it's for you as a leader or your team together, identifying what is it we're here to accomplish together. That hunger is, I think, the first and most important. After that, the next question that she ultimately asks the characters is, where are you now? Because you need to establish an honesty. And so going from hunger to being honest about looking in the mirror 
and having as clear an appraisal of yourself and your circumstance as you can is a really important step. And for people in sales, this obviously is very important because numbers don't lie, but sometimes we want to tell stories about them. Sure. And that idea of can you identify where you are in terms of what are those numbers? What are those metrics that you need to acknowledge and accept mm-hmm. instead of trying to dance around and excuse away? Mm. Because once you see that difference, once you see that gap, between where we are and where we want to be, that's, I think, the thing that opens the door for us to, as I said, be far more humble and to begin to accept the advice and the feedback and the wisdom from others. Because I think that I, as a young coach and most leaders and a whole lot of coworkers, uh, oftentimes show up as full cups and we don't want to let anybody else pour into us because we've already got a full cup that we're bringing to work. Right, right. And it's real easy to confuse yourself um, or tell yourself, tell yourself a story about where you, where you, where, where you are really located. I mean, what's, what's your uh, geolocation in terms of the team really is. Absolutely. And one of the things that I'll share with leaders is, is, you know, teams can deal with change. The most frustrating thing about any change initiative is having to live in fog. I remember taking a trip with my family and we used to drive through the night and we had three kids that were under you know, seven or eight years old mm-hmm. going to Florida. And so we'd drive through the night and, and it seemed invariably that when we'd go through Tallahassee, you'd always meet with you know, just dozens and dozens of detour signs. Mm. And I never minded the detours because for most of the time, it gave pretty clear directions we could find our way. But the most difficult trip we ever made was one time when there was just so much fog that you couldn't really see those signs. Mm. And I think that for leaders and teams, it's the exact same type of experience, that our job is to make sure that we look in a mirror cleanly instead of through the fog or the filters that we want to bring to it. And if you can help your team to see clearly, if you can communicate clearly what it is we're doing, what is that that we're hungry for, where we're going and why – where we are at and what we need to do differently. And once you identify that gap, I think people are far more willing to, in recognizing that gap, want to close it by being humble enough to accept that this is something that will be a positive change because people aren't upset with change. Change can sometimes be uncomfortable, but you know, change can be a very positive thing. If I were to say I was going to change your salary by doubling it, people would love change. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just you got to de- demonstrate that benefit and the progress that you're making. Okay, so uh, the, the the let's go to the. I guess it's the third question now, right? So you go from hunger, which is establishing what do we want, right? To honesty, which mm-hmm. is where are we now? What are the numbers that truly do measure what's going to be important for us? And then once you identify that gap between where we are and where we want to be, that leads to the third question. Mm -hmm. And that is humility. Mm. And what is it that you really need to appreciate more than you might now? Because one of the things I've found, you've probably heard this as a listener, just like John, I'm sure you've heard it here uh, in in these nice studios is, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And Mm. that sounds nice. Yeah. It's been my experience that when the student is ready, they notice the teacher has been there for a while waiting on them to realize that they needed the teacher. 
<laughs> patiently waiting. <laughs> and sometimes impatiently. Right. But I think that absolutely, and, and you think about the world that we live in, once you as a student become ready, there is nothing but information available for us online or through the connections that you may already have, or even in your own organization, there are all kinds of teachers that are available to us. I Mm. think that the issue is, are we as students willing to be unfull cups? Are we willing to be humble enough to recognize that there is a gap that what we've done and what we know is not going to fill? And that's really the major change that needs to occur is once we identify that gap, that opens the door to the humility conversation of who do I need to appreciate? What have I been annoyed by to this point and bothered by and frustrated by that I need to realize there are a lot of people here and a lot of things here that I need to appreciate and take more seriously and be greedy and grateful for feedback instead of upset by it. Got it. And question number four, which leads obviously to the final and, yeah. uh, as leaders and as teammates, professionally and personally, nothing changes until we take action. Mm. And so knowing where we want to be and knowing where we are and knowing what we don't know and beginning to seek out information is all unbelievably important. But it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Until we do something with that information and awareness. And so the last habit or the last part of the story is about habit. Mm-hmm. And it's asking, what are you going to do differently now? Right. And consistently. And I think that that's uh, a key is not just now because consistency will always beat intensity if it's inconsistent. You know, one thing you mentioned here in the book, uh, Sean, is you talked about small steps lead to summits. Say more on that. Yeah, and that's you know, me just playing with some alliteration, but I think that it's a, a very well-known idea, and you've yeah. probably seen the memes on social media where you've got the ladder that has the, the rungs close together that people can actually get out of a hole. Uh, and if the rungs are too far apart, you stay stuck because they're intimidating. And I think that one of the most important things, and you talk about change and, and, and all that, you know, not just leaders in their businesses, but with the people that – they lead, there's been a great deal of burnout and frustration and difficulty and and challenge in the last 18 months to two years. And one of the things that I try and share with leaders in some of our coaching conversations is absolutely burnout is a real thing, but I think that you need to provide two things to combat that. And obviously you need to build that culture and establish compelling common goals and build relationships and you know, set all the other things that build culture. But ultimately there's two things that I think are a, a are an antidote to burnout. And the first is pausing mm. and appreciating what you've done. Mm-hmm. And I think that idea of letting people feel seen and appreciated for the efforts that they've made and taking a moment to pause and to celebrate those things along the way is unbelievably important. As a young coach, I figured the banquet is when you were supposed to celebrate, and I was going to keep on coaching, and we'll keep on working until we get to the banquet. And I can't imagine how difficult a guy I was to play for that first couple of years Mm. because I didn't take the time, and I wasn't focused upon being intentionally grateful and helping people feel appreciated for their moments and and to take pauses along the way. But I think the second part of that is – and 
off step to it. And that is, have you helped your people to see progress? Mm. Because if they have purpose and they feel appreciated for what they're doing that day or last week and how that impacted the, the, the team, I think that ultimately what we all want to feel is that the efforts we're making are contributing to some type of positive progress. And so can you help people to see in the midst of those pauses that you take and those celebrations, not just that they're appreciated for those efforts and they're seen because certainly every job is valuable, but not every job in an organization feels as visible. Mm -hmm. And that idea of letting them see the progress they've contributed to that ultimately is what engagement is. It's, you know, how much do you care about the, you know, impact or the results that your efforts are creating. Sean Glaze is with us, folks. He is the author of Staying Coachable. And uh, it's a great book. And folks, I encourage you to pick it up uh, along the way. We'll we'll give you coordinates on how to do that here shortly. But uh, Sean, let's, let's, I want to get to uh, your work as a speaker uh, and uh, as a as a coach, talk about your practice and what you, what you do there and how, what your services in that regard. Yeah. Well, ultimately, you know, I I feel like my passion and my purpose is to help people who are where I was as a young coach, as a young leader. And that can be not just in basketball or athletics, but far more importantly in organizations around the country, regardless of industry, there are people in management positions who aren't really sure or comfortable with how do I create a better culture, how to create an environment where my people can thrive. What are those things that I need to do? Because they may have a skill, but that skill doesn't always set them up to be an effective leader. Mm. And so helping people to build those more positive and productive team cultures and understanding what it is that establishes an environment where people can thrive. And so that your strategy can succeed is really where I've, I've kind of tried to pour myself into. And that has certainly been through you know, some individual coaching and, and obviously through events, whether it's a half day or a full day team building event, mm-hmm. or whether that's as a conference speaker. And, uh, and I would imagine that as people are listening to us, whether it's on the road or cutting their grass or in their offices, mm-hmm. as soon as you hear the word team building, if you're anything like I was 25 years ago, you just crossed your arms and rolled your eyes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you that would absolutely have been me until I began to face plant and fail because I had neglected to build my team and to establish the culture that allowed our strategy to succeed. And if you know that your strategy is solid, but you're not having it implemented as well as you know that it should be to allow you to succeed or to perform the way that you should, I think that culture is often the issue. And culture is nothing more than the behaviors that are allowed and repeated in an organization. Mm. But as leaders, we establish that culture through our leadership and through the standards and the expectations and the relationships and the goals that we define. And I think that the single most important thing we can do as leaders is to recognize that need to build culture and to establish relationships. And that starts with team building. That may not be titled that, but there are a number of things that successful leaders do that are really powerful in building teams in terms of establishing connections and giving people opportunities to interact and to build connections that are strong enough to support the weight of truth when it needs to. Uh, And I absolutely believe that there is a huge difference between recreational team building, which is let's go bowling together and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And let's do some intentional team building 
which really does focus upon, yeah, let's have a great time and give people a chance to connect. But far more importantly, let's make sure it's with the intention to focus on an issue such as improving accountability Mm. or developing trust or inspiring collaboration across our uh, organization because intentional team building is going to have an impact. And instead of just providing a nice three hours, it's going to hopefully impact your organization for the next three months or three years. Wow. Great words here from Sean Glaze. Uh, he is, uh, his company is great results team building and his new book is staying coachable. And it's a story with four questions. You, and we, you heard them folks <laughs> to help you thrive and change, keep climbing and enjoy relentless improvement. Sean, this has been great. And I can't imagine there aren't some folks that, uh, hearing this, uh, hearing you speak wouldn't like to be in touch. So let's uh, give them coordinates and how they can do that. And let's tell them how they can buy the book. I appreciate that very much, John. They can find the book on Amazon. Again, you can just Google staying coachable. You'll find my website as well. It's greatresultsteambuilding.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Sean Glaze and on most social media at lead your team. Awesome. Sean Glaze, folks. Sean, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming in. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, John. Thank you. Hey, folks, just a uh, quick reminder. If you are looking for some of those uh, recreational team building events and uh, you want to come up with something new that does not involve uh, breaking an ankle or something like that, uh, go to ANS Culinary Concepts and check out their website, uh, asculinaryconcepts.com. Or give Andrew Traub a call. Andrew is at uh, 678-336-9196. Andrew is the executive chef at AS Culinary Concepts. And yes, they're a culinary, culinary studio and they do corporate catering and uh, big, big green egg boot camps. Uh, lots of fun. But who knew that you could have a great corporate team building event around a table, seasoning meat, and um, cutting up vegetables? But you can. And they have a number of them over there, and they're a lot of fun. So uh, give him a call and give Andrew a call, 678-336-9196, and learn more about what he offers in their uh, uh, beautiful culinary studio in Johns Creek. And, folks, uh, just a quick reminder as we wrap up that North Fulton Business Radio is on all the major podcast apps. We're, we couldn't do what we do without your support. We appreciate you. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, we would love it if you would subscribe to the show. And uh, tell others, share the show. Uh, you doing so is not about me or Business Radio X. It's about our great guests. Guests like Sean who do great work and who we want to celebrate. So if you could help us in that way, we would appreciate it. So for my guest, Sean Glaze, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.